too much fun with that. <laughs> so, hey, uh, um, th- no pressure, but I heard a rumor that it'd be really cool to have an Easter choir. <laughs> yeah, that's it, choir. You got to come now, so. <laughs> well, uh, we're in this series of Mary, uh, Very Marysville uh, Christmas, uh, Advent kind of uh, season together, and this is the third Sunday in Advent, which is uh, the funnest one, because this one's all about holy party, Amen. Say, holy party. Holy party. All right, let's, uh, let's um, do our uh, verse. Oops, let's turn that on. Uh, and then we'll do our verse together here as soon as it connects. There we go. Uh, so let's say, say our memory verse together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, <clears throat> and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. You look forward to that? That is the kingdom of God uh, coming in that. So this morning, um, we're going to look at Psalms 126, which is what you heard read with the lighting candle. Uh, I have told you that we're kind of working through the Old Testament stuff, prophecies. Uh, that's what happens in the candles. Uh, and so uh, in this particular case, uh, Psalms 126 is a, surprise, surprise, psalm. Anyone want to know what a psalm is? Song, exactly right. It's one of those words that kind of connects right through there. And so it's Hebrew poetry. So it's a little bit different than, than you know, a narrative kind of story sort of thing. Uh, and this would have been sung very, very much. They would have sung this together uh, as, as the people uh, of God with this, this idea of this promise that comes with that. Um, and so I, I want to read this uh, to you again. In fact, you can see that up there, right? Okay, let's read this together, because it would have been a song. The people would have sang it, right? And if some of you want to add a tune, go for it as we go through there. So let's read it together. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like people restored to health. Our mouths were filled with laughter, and our tongue with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the land. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy." So the short translation of this, the Craig version, Craig Laughlin version, and all of my professors would just hear, hate to hear me say that, but the Craig Laughlin version of this, because I like everything like short and sweet and easy to understand, is this. The short translation of Psalm 126 is, holy, holy party, yes. That, that's where they're celebrating in, in, the, in the midst of this uh, uh, passage. Uh, and so I'm going to jump into this as we walk through it. Uh, the first verse, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, okay? So here's the context. They are in captivity. They are in exile. And either this one was written as they came out of exile, or the prophet was looking down through time and can see the moment when they would be coming back out of exile. And, and he is, he's set that up. So all the rest of this flows out of this experience. Uh, we were like people restored to health and all of that. And I always struggle. I don't know how to help you understand what it would be like to, to be a people in exile. 
There's just, because I've never experienced it. In fact, the, the biggest, uh, you know, confinement, the biggest captivity of my life was like in middle school when they were doing Scared Straight. Y'all remember Scared Straight, you know, right? So we got to take the tour of the local police jail, you know, and they put you in there and they clank the door shut and they walk away for about 60 seconds and they come back. So I'm pretty sure that that doesn't make me qualified to talk about what captivity is really like. But I, if you could turn on your imaginations a little bit, can you imagine what it would be like to be hauled off to another land? And maybe even it wasn't you. Maybe it was your great-grandfather. And so your, your father had lived all of his life in captivity, and your grandfather had lived all of his life in captivity, and your great-grandfather had experienced what it was to be brought out of the land. And for each one, you're wondering not only for yourself, but for your children. Will they ever live free Will they ever be back in God's land? Will they ever know what it is to have a a normal kind of life? And then one day, God breaks in. And all of a sudden, you guys are making your way back to God's land, back to the the land of Israel. And and, and all of a sudden, there's this super thing going on as you go to Zion. Uh, And we were like people restored to health. Now, some of you, if you're looking at your Bibles, have a translation that says dream. That's actually an idiom for the idea of kind of miraculous healing in someone's life. So the, the idea is that, that the whole people of God are experiencing a miraculous healing. They've been in captivity. They've been broken. They've suffered. They, they worry about their children. They've watched their parents suffer before them. They don't even know what the land of Zion looks like. And one day God sets them free. That's a healing, I'm telling you. And so all of a sudden, instead of walking with crook backs and kind of heads down and all of that, they are walking upright and they're going to the land of their fathers that God had given to them. Somebody say amen. Yeah. I think that is good news. So that's the context for this, right? These people are flying high in this. So verse 2, here we go. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Remember we told you the Old Testament's a lot about images? The idea of not just laughing, but your mouth is filled. It's overflowing. You just can't stop laughing in all of this. It's filled with laughter. Our, our tongues with songs of joy. And so they're singing, and this, they're singing about singing in this psalm, okay? So they're, they're filled with laughter. Their songs are, are, are full of joy. And I, I don't know how to capture this. I think the best thing, when I think about this, I think about the birth of our first child, right? Because the birth of your first child is like none of the others because you have no idea what you're really getting into yet, right? You know? Second and third one, it's like, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> you know? But the first one is like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. And you, you hold them in your hands and, and you, you just, there's such joy. There's just such a, a feeling of, of God is doing something special uh, in, in all of this. And, and, and the, the idea here really is the idea of overwhelming joy. The inability to stop smiling, right? You know, have you ever smiled till the sides of your face hurt? Because just like, I mean, when you have a kid, that's, that kind of happens, you know? Guys, when, you, when you're saying, she said yes, that's one of those times when you're like this, you know? At least if you're like me who married way up, you know? It's like, I won the lottery, hey, you know? Uh, and so the idea here is that, and then, then the songs of joy, it actually, the word carries the idea of exuberant joy. Um, it, it's the idea of, of shouting and, and, and getting really excited about that. Not many of you shout in church. So I just have a, a question for you. Like, when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, did you shout? Uh-huh, guilt, 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 guilt. And, and if you didn't shout then, the next year when they lost, with, did you shout? Not with those kind of words, but I mean, 
you know. And, and that's actually what this is about. It's, it's, it's just you're overcome and you shout with excitement as, they, as they're released probably. And I would imagine as they came into the land of Zion that they, they shouted for joy through, through all of that. And, and in fact, one of the, the commentators called it explosions of joy. I love that language. Explosions of joy. Say explosions of joy. I think that describes what it would be like if you came out of exile and, and now you were suddenly uh, free in all of this. And then this last line is so important. The Lord has done great things for them. I, I've been living in that phrase all week long as, with this sermon. I've been like, I think, that's, I think that's the key to the whole thing. The Lord has done great things for them. Because I'll be honest with you, you all know my story. You know that the Lord has done great things for me. That there have been things that's like, it was only God that could move into that. And, and this is this idea of the Lord has done great things for you and for all of us. And all kinds of times. Say the Lord has done great things. The Lord has done great things. Okay, now say the Lord has done great things for me. Now turn to the person next to you and say the Lord has done great things for you. Okay, other way, whichever direction, the other direction. Yeah, maybe you don't like the person on the other side of you, but it's like, kind of all of that. I think that's so important. Hold on to that because we're going to talk about this a little bit more. So verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. See, the psalmist was like, yeah, you didn't get the first time, so I'm going to make you say it again, right? And we are filled with joy. And, and there's interesting, the word for joy is a different word than the one before of a kind of this explosive kind of joy. This is one that actually speaks to like deep satisfaction. It's not nearly as emotive, but it's like really, really deep. And, I, and I, the moment I think this comes is even if you have a bunch of kids, when they're all asleep and you can, crawl, you can kind of look at them sleep, they're all angels when they sleep, amen? I mean, that, that's the moment of satisfaction. Once their eyes open, then, you know, we're off to the races. But, but that, that moment of that, that, of this like, it is good. God is good to us. And so I want you to catch this idea of both explosive joy and, and deep satisfaction uh, that's a part of this. And all of it is because the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. So here's the, the prayer. Now that they've kind of given the joy, they turn the prayer, they ask to God, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the land. And so they're, they're praying. They've, they've lost everything. When you go into exile, you lose everything. Multi-generational exile, you lose everything. They are coming into this land in, in poverty with not much more than enthusiasm and the desire to make it work, right? So they pray, Lord, Lord, restore our fortunes and then like streams in the land. So remember, they live in a desert environment. So where's the best place to live when you live in a desert environment? Buy some water, exactly right, especially like fresh water, that sort of thing. By a stream, if you've ever seen pictures of deserts, you can always identify where the rivers are, right? Because it's the only place that's green for maybe 100 yards or so, and, that, and that's it. And so to, in, in their land, to, to live by a stream, to have lots of streams in the land, was a great blessing from God. And so they're asking for God's blessing uh, in this. And, and I don't want to get too far off on this, but here's something I think you need to hear. We need to bless one another more. We need to pray God's blessing on people. I, I, and some of you may have grown up like me, kind of, you know, legalistic. And it, it always sometimes when I was a kid felt like if I prayed for God's blessing, it was selfish, right? Here's what I want you to know. God's blessing is never selfish. God will not give you what is not good for you, okay? 
praying for something specific that you think you actually have to have, God may give that to you just to prove to you that that's not really what you needed. Anyone want to say amen besides me? You know? Okay? But, but God's blessing, and when we ask God to bless each other, that is always a good thing. And so I just want to encourage you to bless people. Bless your children. Bless your grandchildren. Pray for them. Pray over them. All right? We got this as blessing. It's okay to pray for God's blessing in our lives. And then number five, those uh, who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And in, in agriculture, sowing and reaping was a really big deal, right? Because in their culture, uh, you would harvest in the fall, but then the ground would be fallow, right? You know, there was nothing on there. It's just flat, nothing. You kind of maybe prepare the ground. Uh, and that was when they would have to sow the land, sow the land so that it would, uh, they would have a harvest the next, the next spring. And so there was this sense in which, uh, from, from kind of the way they thought about the world, in which the land and, and the, the seed was dead, right? You know, talk, Jesus talked about the seed has to die and that kind of thing. And so they, w- they would literally carry the idea of, of, of putting that out there in this dead land, in the midst of, of death. They would put this out there with the hope, they got to get through the winter, with the hope that in the spring there would be a reaping, a sowing, a resurrection, if you will. See how that all ties together? Way back in the Old Testament, these concepts are kind of coming forward here. And so he's saying to them, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy in all of this. And this is back to the exuberant one, right? The over-the-top kind of sort of thing. And so this is kind of where the, God is speaking in the promise. They've, uh, they asked for the blessing, and now they're saying, we believe this. We believe that if we will go out and do the hard work, if we will go out and sow and by faith put the seed down, we believe that by faith that one day after we suffer through the long winter, one day the spring will come and life will come to this land again. Somebody say amen, okay? I don't know whether you like my preaching or not, but that's a really good concept, okay? Scripture's pretty cool uh, with this sort of stuff. Uh, And so uh, we sow in tears and we reap with songs, explosive joy of joy in all of that. And then verse 6, he who goes out with weeping, carrying seed to sow, so it kind of makes it a little more specific, will return with songs of joy. So he's moved from kind of the description now to to the prophecy, right? If you will do what God has asked you to do, if you will go and sow in the moments of death, when it's all bad and when life looks hard and difficult for you, God will be at work over the winter, and when the t- right time has come, he will bless you. Amen? Amen. And understand, when I say bless you, I don't mean he's going to make you rich or all of that kind of stuff, that selfish stuff, but it means that he will do something in your life that matters for eternity. So here's what we learn out of this passage. Joy is a big deal in our faith. It's a big deal in, in Christianity. In fact, in the Bible, the word, uh, the word joy shows up a lot. 15 different Hebrew words that get translated joy, right? That's a lot of Hebrew words. I mean, we'll talk about the New Testament in a minute, but just to think. And so what we know about language, right, is whatever culture, the more words you have to describe something, the more you are dealing with it and the more nuanced you can be about it, Right? So, I mean, the classic example is snow, right? Around here, we have like three or four words for snow. We have snow we don't like and slushy snow and kind of dry snow, and that's it, you know? But they tell me that like, like uh, Eskimos in, in, in Alaska have like a whole bunch of words, right? Well, why? Because they deal with snow all the time, you know? And there's a whole bunch of slices and, and looks at it. And so for, for Hebrew, for God's people, they have 15 different words for joy, now, I don't know of anything we have 15 words for. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, Scott. 
And in the New Testament, there are eight words, okay? And one of which appears 60 times. Just eight words for joy. And the New Testament's smaller. In the Old Testament, the words for joy, one of the words appears 150 times, and another one appears 100 times. I am telling you, joy is a big deal for God's people. Amen? Okay? So here's the problem, though. Uh, in English, joy is a passing emotion. It's kind of a, you have a, you have a moment of it, and, and then it, it goes away. In fact, it's kind of a word we're hardly even using anymore, which is kind of sad, kind of a sad commentary on our culture. But So how many of you heard the word joy used today in some context other than Christmas? <laughs> yeah, Kramer was about to raise his hands. He's been singing joy songs all week long. You don't count. <laughs> so when I think about joy, what I think about is kids and Christmas, right? You know, we're at that, we're empty nesters. The grandkids are going to be with us for Christmas, which is what makes Christmas really perfect, right? Because, I mean, Christmas with two old people sitting there is like, eh. <laughs> In fact, it's really bad. I asked for a vacuum for Christmas because I have to do the chairs and I want a light one. And after I told her that, I was like, gee, I am old. <laughs> I'm just old. But the kids are going to be there. My grandson is about two and a half, you know, so he's at perfect age for all of that. And I can't wait to see them tear into the presents and, and get all their presents. And it's like, joy, they're so excited about what they got. But it's a short-term thing. Because if you have kids, you know this. About an hour later, they're going to be playing with the box, not the toy. You know, it's like, joy's all, what happened that, you know? So joy is kind of this thing we talk about as a temporary a sort of thing. Uh, so joy in English is a passing emotion. But in the Bible, joy is our response to God's action in our lives. When God moves in our lives and we see him move, there's a joy at what he's doing. That's what the people of Israel, when they, they were brought out of exile, that's what brought joy. God is on the move. God has done great things for us. Pay attention here. You need to see where God is at and, and, and what he's doing. We respond to God's breaking into the world to make a difference. And that is Christmas. When God in Jesus breaks into our broken world to heal it, to bring life to us, joy. We have more reason than anybody else in the world to have joy. God moves in and things change and things get better. Everywhere Jesus went, people were left better than he found them because he was a vessel of joy of the kingdom of God. They were delivered from captivity, explosive joy. We have been delivered from sin. We should have explosive joy. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Nobody got up and danced around like you did at the end of the Super Bowl, but we'll take that for now. We're working on that. We'll, we'll get that next week, okay? So joy comes when we see that God is on the move. You want more joy in your life? Watch for where God is at in your life. And joy is something that stays even in the dark times because you know that God is on the move. Joy, is, uh, joy in unhappy circumstances is the confidence that God is at work. Let me say this again, because some of you are in unhappy circumstances. Joy in unhappy circumstances is the confidence that God is at work, which is why that sowing and reaping thing was there, because the winter can be long and hard and difficult. 
That in those circumstances, you, you do what God wants you to do. He told you to sow, and so you sow, but everything looks just as dead next week as it did last week and the week after and the week after. And then, then the winter hits, and there's all kinds of blowing stuff and storms, and I don't know if they had any snow in Israel, but around here we have snow, which is a royal pain. I know some of you like snow. Stop praying for it, would you? You know, <laughs> I spent a long time in Kansas City. I got my fill of snow, you know. But, but in, the, in those difficult times, it's hard to understand where is God in the midst of the? Where is God when we're feeling all of these sorts of, of things in, in our life? And, and the answer is God is at work still, even though you can't see him. And the really cool thing for us is because we know a little more about agriculture and how all that works. You all know that seed is in the process of changing, right? There's things going on. It doesn't look like there's going on that, but there's things going on. And eventually a little sprout comes up. You can't see it on the top, but there's a little sprout. You know, finally you get to spring and you see the little sprout. And you go, oh, God is at work. God has been at work all winter long, okay? You're just now catching up with what God is already doing. And that's why joy is when we see that God is on the move and God is always on the move. Amen? Here, here, here's a, a little thing for us. We always think we should know what God is doing. I, I, I'm going to, I just hate to break this to you, and I know this will be hard for some of you, but God does not report to you. He doesn't. He's not one of your reports at work that got to tell you what to do. God does not have to tell you what he's doing. God just works in the midst of it, and he says, you need to trust me in all of this. How many of you have ever said to your kids, you need to trust me? Yeah. Not terribly surprising that God would say that to us who are his children, amen? God is always on the move in all of that. In fact, <laughs> that's at the heart of the Christmas story. You remember when Christ came and the angels come to the shepherds, the very bottom of, of society, and they said to you, I bring you good news that will cause great for all people. And they had joy because they went and they saw the Messiah. But you know what happened after that? They went back to being shepherds. They went back to being the bottom of society. They went back to the hard stuff in their lives. But they continued with joy because they had a secret. They knew that the invasion from heaven into earth had begun and that it was on the move and that one day God was going to make it right. They were first to see the fulfillment. They were the first ones to see the little things spring through the dirt. And there it is. It's begun and the harvest is coming, that Christ is at move in all of that. That's pretty good theology out of the Old Testament, isn't it? Look how it changes in the New Testament. It gets really good, okay? Uh, um, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is from Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We won't go into all of that. Here's what I want you to know. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, which means, oops, Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Aren't I good with theology there? Okay, you know, isn't that great? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And I say that, and it seems obvious, but think about it for a minute. That means joy isn't something you just work up. That means joy isn't something that you just have when it's going well. It doesn't mean joy is something you can read a book and I'll have joy or you can point the way. It means joy is spiritual. And it's the fruit of the Spirit working in us. And we have joy not because of us or what we have done, but we have joy because of what God is doing in us, that faith, that knowledge that God is at work. 
that God is on the move in my life, in your life, and in our church, and in our community in so many ways. He is a part of what's happening even when you can't see him. So all followers of Jesus, Jesus should exhibit joy because we see God at work in the world, our churches, our families, and our lives. We know he's at work, and we, we can see it sometimes. We should turn on our eyes. We're supposed to have spiritual eyes to see where, where God is at work. And so let me tell you this. You want more joy in your life? Tune in to where God is at work in the world, where God is at work in your family, where God is at work in your, your work, and where God is at work in your friends, and, and all of that. The more you tune in to see where God is moving, the greater joy you will have in your life. Because it's connected to what God is doing in our world. You want to see, you want to have more joy? Start volunteering. There is nothing like serving other people for you to be able to see God at work in the world. Okay? I'm just telling you, lifetime of it. It's, it's the greatest thing you can do. I, I, I've had friends that, that like when they get really down, you know, they'll go, I just got to go down to the rescue mission and help serve a meal because I can see God at work there in a way that I'm struggling in my own life. Or, or here's an even better one. Find out what your ministry calling is and do that. If you don't know for sure, you can talk to Reese. He'll tell you that it's youth, okay? <laughs> Kramer's pretty sure it's music, you know, I don't know. So, <laughs> um, so but, but when you find your thing, you find the way that God works through you, that God flows through you, you, get, you can see better what God is doing in the world. You can see how God is at move in our lives. And there are things that blind us. Okay, I'm going to do what my dad used to call give up preaching and go to meddling here. Some of the things that blind us are things like bitterness. Boy, that blinds you to the work of God really fast. Anger. That blinds you because anger makes you think you're right. And very often, you're not even in the ballpark. Shame. Man, shame is an awful thing. Unforgiveness will blind you to what God is doing. Those sorts of things rob us of our joy, things that we must give to God. And at the end of our service, we're going to have a time of prayer. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with, with joy in your life, and maybe there's one of those things that, that blinds us to what's going on, maybe this would be a good time to just say, Lord, I, I I need you to take that out. I, I want joy. I'm tired of carrying the burden. I'm tired of struggling and feeling like I'm doing it on my own and in my own strength. I need the joy of the Lord that he says is our strength. I invite you to come. And then I want to kind of look more deeply at, at joy in the New Testament because it's so much fun. In the New Testament, word, the New Testament word for joy is chara. Say chara. Again, you should spit on the person in front of you when you say it. Chara uh, in, in all of that. Um, and you know, you've heard me talk about this before. In fact, I may have done this piece uh, several times because it's just so important. But um, one of the things that's really important in Greek is root words, right? Root word is like there's, there's a word that has a meaning and then you attach things to it uh, that, to kind of change the meaning. Like theist. What does theist mean? God, okay? So an atheist is somebody who doesn't believe in God, Right? A pantheist is somebody that believes God is in everything. A monotheist is us. <laughs> there's one God, right? So theist is the word, but it changes, but there's an underlying meaning. Or anti, so antiseptic, right? Or antidote, or <clears throat> antisocial kind of things, you know? All those kind of against things. So let's look at the root here. So the root here for, uh, for uh, 
joy is cha. Say cha. Okay? It was cha. So, uh, so joy is chara. Whoops. Well, we've got to write it there. And grace is charis. So joy and grace share the same root in Greek. There's a shared meaning. There's two sides of the same coin. And here's the deal. The more grace you give and the more you open yourself to receiving grace, the more you will have joy. It's all about that piece of it. The more grace you give and the more you are open to receiving grace, the more joy you have in your life. The more grace you receive, the better you become at giving it to others. There's just something about it. You cannot have too much grace in your life. Grace fills us up. The more grace fills your life, the greater your, your joy. And I, I'll be honest with you, I've known people that have gone to church all of their life and they're old now. And they're like grace scrooges, you know? be a grace there. No, you're not worthy of grace. No, that's good for this year. You know, that's kind of a, you know, they just, they, that is not the way God did it at, at all. Uh, God, God was lavish with grace. And when God is lavish with grace and we let that into our lives and then we can see where God is moved, then joy becomes lavish. Joy might even become explosive in your life where we overflow with what God is doing. So, Joy and grace have the same root. I should have put that up there early. You already figured that out, right? You know, okay, good. We can move on from that. Okay, uh, if you want joy in your life, you must let grace in. And now I'm going to meddle again a little bit in all of this, okay? The, the truth of the matter is um, some of you have a hard time letting grace in. Some of you, some of you, know, just not to, to label, but some of you are um, type A, Right? Or uh, here's another one, perfectionist. Yeah, some of you are like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, or high achievers, and you have a hard time giving yourself grace. It's a part of what makes you really good at what you do, but it's probably rotting your soul because we need grace in our lives because none of us are perfect. Should have been more of you, okay? Let me try that again. None of us are perfect. Oh, good. Several of you are going, well, you know, maybe. No, 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 you're not. You're not perfect in all of this. Here's what I want you to know. God never rations grace. He pours it out liberally. He pours it out on his people. And, And for some of you, you just need to open yourself up to more grace because when you open yourself up to more grace, when you allow grace into your life, it becomes so much easier to give grace to others. And when you don't give grace to others, it begins to strain and eventually break relationships, families, marriages, all of those sorts of things. Grace is a tremendous gift from God that leads to joy in, in, in our life. And, and the truth of the matter is we all need that because none of us make it on our own. Amen? Einstein, the great theologian Einstein. He's really smart, but oh, his personal life. Here's, he said something, though, that I think really applies in this situation. I, I love this quote. He says, Everybody is a genius from the man who was a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. Some of you have been working on climbing that tree for a long time. (laughs) It ain't going to happen. You need to let God's grace into that. 
And here's the really sad part about this quote. The fish misses the blessing of swimming in the ocean that a tree can never do. Anybody climbs trees can never do like a fish can. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that, that you, would, you would stop looking at the tree and that you'd let God's grace into your life to say, okay, maybe that's not what God wants me to do. Maybe that's not where God wants me to go. Maybe that's not how God has wired me in this. But he's got another thing over here for you. I've told you about this a ton of times. I wanted to be a worship leader. So God gave me a scratchy, not very good sounding, drive everybody out of the sanctuary voice. You know, that was my tree. I kept looking at my tree, you know, and I come in and I listen to Kramer in here practicing and I sing along way in the back so nobody will hear, you know, because it's like, (laughs) I'm telling you, grace is the key to joy. Because when you take grace in and you extend grace to others, you begin to see how God is working because God is always working in grace. And then you begin to get excited about what God is doing and his extravagance in all the things that he has done in your life. So... God is on the move in your life, your family, and our world. Don't let the troubles of the moment rob you of God's joy for your life. Yeah, that got real quiet. (laughs) One or two amens and all that. Let's read this together. God is on the move in your life, your family, and our world. Don't let the troubles of the moment rob you of God's joy for your life. If our worship team would come. I, I, I... Joy is such a wonderful thing. And I so desire that every one of you would experience that in your life. But there are things that get in the way of that. Not being tuned into what's going on in the world and how God is working. The things of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness that that blind us for our joy. Not being gracious. Not accepting God's grace into our lives. Somebody say amen. amen. And not extending grace to others that ruins our relationship. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to what I say all the time. What is Jesus asking you to do? with what you've heard today. Maybe you need to bring joy into somebody else's life. Maybe you got joy. I hope you have joy because joy is wonderful. Or maybe you need to work on something that's getting in the way of the joy in your life. And so as we sing here in just a minute, we're going to have a time of prayer together. Some of you are going to just sing with joy. But some of you got something you need to work on. And you can come down here and you can pray right down here at the, on the pews and we won't, we won't bother you. But we're going to have one of our elders over here, uh, a man, and then we're going to have, do we have any of our lady elders in here that, just sorry, I missed that one somewhere in there. Uh, Sue, would you come down and, and pray? Uh, Sue is our, our treasurer and a part of the leadership team here. Um, so if you could come to this side and, and um, over here. Uh, I'm going to pray for you, and then I do really want to invite you. Life is too short to go through it without joy. I I don't don't know that you'll miss heaven, but you're sure going to miss a lot of good things that God has for you while you're standing there staring at that tree trying to figure out how to climb the thing. Let God's joy into your life. Father God, Lord, I I so desire for these good people that that your joy would be filled in their lives, Father, that they wouldn't miss out on it, the, the joy of the arrival of Messiah, the joy that after Pentecost the Holy Spirit has come, and so the Holy Spirit's always working in all kinds of ways. It doesn't really matter whether we can see it or not, Father. The joy of, of healing, the joy of forgiveness, the, the joy of deliverance from, from things like anger and bitterness, Father. There's so much you want to do, but we've got to let the grace in. And so I pray right now, Father, that you would speak to every heart, especially that one 
that's struggling with some stuff inside that they know they need to let out. We just give them the courage to turn it over to you this morning and let you take control. And then may your joy flow and bubble over in their life, Father. And we ask all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, church family. Thank you for watching this video. It is amazing that you consider this your church home. If you do consider this your church home, we would ask that you would share this video with a friend. If God has been speaking to you, we would hope that you would share this message. As always, like and subscribe so that you don't miss a single video and tune in each Sunday at 10 a.m. on our live stream or you can join us in person. We'll see you next week. God bless.